Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10 a.m. on 3CR Community Radio. 855 a.m. on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that has been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're talking about degrowth as an alternative to unrealistic and unsustainable economic growth. Yes, in past programs we've been quite critical of top-down politics that serve the interests of wealth and power. We've critiqued the expanding gap between rich and poor. When the capitalist economic system, which generates, produces and maintains all that inequality, gets into some trouble, like it is now, the government often offers its crutches to sustain its operations by, for example, by, for example, privatising public services and utilities or selling them off to the highest bidder. So we can all think of examples of that. The government is really the handmaiden of the economic system that increases growing inequality to the point that even the most conservative defenders of capitalism now urge the government now urge the government to raise wages and salaries and to increase new start payments so that they at least meet the basic cost of living. Conservatives who have spoken out include ex-Liberal Prime Minister John Howard and the Business Council of Australia. As well, quite a few figures on the right know that the current radical inequality in the distribution of society's resources <laughs> makes capitalism unstable. Yes, and at the same time, it's really difficult to argue for a better redistribution of wealth and income in this and in other countries which are infested by neoliberalism. The reactionary public media and the usual suspects in Parliament will immediately raise the accusation of being socialist or Mm. something even more satanic. Meanwhile, banks steal from the have-nots and have little with impunity. Mm. The much touted, for example, the much touted tax gift to the aged, which was so much touted by uh, the Morrison now government uh, during the election, it has turned out to be just a few a few cents a week, rather than the promised eight hundred dollars for mm-hmm. everyone. We're talking about welfare restrictions again. The ignominious cashless welfare credit card is back, presumably to prevent people from buying drugs and booze. Mm. So while Prime Minister Scott Morrison's latest proposal is for those on New Start and Youth Allowance payments to be drug tested, incredibly, adding insult to injury, no such proposals are being made for those benefiting from our shared tax revenue. Remember, it is our money, not his, um, including um, politicians, but also those benefiting from the privatisation of essential services and support. So we really do have socialism for the rich and rather well-paid politicians alongside reinvention of the mutual obligation rant for the poor and the powerless. Um, There are evidently the lifters 
leaners and leeches, and arguably many of the leeches are at the top of wealth and power, leeching the lifeblood from the populace. And I'd, I'd like to add to that, it's not just um, so-called radicals saying that, it's ex- some experts from the more conservative side of politics are arguing this too, including the economist, Nobel Prize winning economist Joseph Stiglitz. And, and meanwhile, what really bothers me as well is that the left-leaning party, of course they can't pretend being socialist, God forbid, that they continue to equivocate and make public statements about whether or not it should stick to the program with which it presumably lost the election or sidle up to the the enormities the coalition has come up with and continues to make worse. Besides gross inequity, the major fallout from the last two centuries of the operations of the capitalist system is environmental destruction and the prospect of catastrophic climate change. And the last few years have actually seen an intensification of the forms of production and consumption which are the major causes of global warming. We talked about the blind faith in the need for constant economic growth a couple of programs back. And when you just have a look at newspaper articles or listen to the news anywhere, growth is and continues to be at the centre of many, many a specialist or an expert or a newspaper journalist or whatever. Uh, you, you know, you look at the business side, the business pages of our of the age, for example. The big exception remains for me good old Ross Giddens, but most of the others they talk about the absolute need to growth attack the, and, and attack the government for uh, not actually paying enough attention to it. Yes, and of course we know that constant growth is impossible. We talked about that a couple of programs back, especially as we live on a finite planet with finite resources. Uh, mainstream economic theory includes the lovely term externalities. So think about that, externalities. Well, it's something external to your profit for sure. Uh, it sounds value-free, um, but it benignly refers to things like externalising the pollution from an industry to the general environment for the general populace and the environment to pick up the costs. It also means transferring the cost of environmental damage to future generations um, so that the corporation takes the profits but passes the losses on to others and into the future, (laughs) to future generations. Or they try to export it to countries like China or Africa. Uh, That, of course, now has come to a screeching halt and therefore we actually start noticing what this externalisation is doing to us, given, for example, the recycling and waste crisis in Victoria Mm -hmm. and elsewhere. So on that note, we will now go to Company Sin, quite meaningfully, I think, (laughs) by John Butler which tells us a bit about what happens when we pursue the fool's gold of perpetual economic growth.
An LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month. Or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR, funded by the City of Yarra. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR, 855 AM on your dial. 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the degrowth movement, which we're really about to launch into now, as an alternative to unsustainable economic growth. Yeah, in a way, the, all the kinds of things we talked about before the break, before, before the music break, were actually really, if you think about consequences of our unthoughtful ways of just concentrating on growth and nothing else much. Today is therefore back to the growth issue. But we will approach it really from an opposite direction. We already mentioned very briefly the existence last time, two weeks ago, uh, of a degrowth movement, which provides an alternative to the focus on constant economic growth and reliance on the capitalist market to solve all the problems we presumably and reality seem to have. The degrowth movement has been embraced by activists largely in Europe, the Americas and some rather strong voices as well and initiatives in this country. It includes a range of approaches and strategies, but they have in common an interest in moving beyond top-down politics and a greed-based economic system. Yes, well, proponents of degrowth promote values such as care for others, simple living or simplicity, and conviviality, a term borrowed from Latin American initiatives. So uh, conviviality is so rarely used these days, I looked up its definition The Cambridge Dictionary meaning is the quality of being friendly, making people happy and making them welcome. It's an interesting kind of a translation because uh, (laughs) it actually derives, as you said, from, from, from Spanish. And what being friendly and making people happy is really sort of a middle classy kind of thing which we now use a lot. Mm -hmm. But what it really 
really means it derives from convivir, which means Spanish word for to live together, mm-hmm. together living. And it is very much also associated with other Spanish concepts as they are being used in Latin America, like buen vivir. Uh, which Bolivia and Ecuador, for example, have now as part of their constitution. A little bit also New Zealand is moving in that direction with mm-hmm. well-being. So, uh, and so the idea of conviviality, that living together, a good life living together. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so I wonder what a society based on conviviality would look like. Hmm, to start with, maybe a rise in New Start. Affordable housing, anyone? Bringing refugees to Australia from Manus and Nauru, perhaps? Or banning addictive poker machines that destroy people's lives? Yeah, many, of, many of the things our PM now refers to as unfunded empathy. Mm-hmm. Remember that? A bit of history of where the ideas of degrowth came from and how they evolved is always good, I think. Thinking about the problem of growth really started when awareness about the ecological and environmental effects of Western and capitalist-inspired development grew. The Club of Rome in 1972, which was a collection of influential and wise elders from across the globe, really, they came together and published The Limits to Growth in, as I said, 1972. Year after year, they have been publishing a handbook documenting the myriad aspects of the effects of modernist living particularly growth in capitalist-based living, also being aware of the maldistribution of the goodies of that modernity. From there emerged the concept of sustainable development. That was a product, Mm -hmm. a flow-out of that conversation, which initially meant to put ecological issues at the centre of considerations to do with the consequences of Western development. It also asked whether, uh, whether the Western model could indeed be afforded for the entire world population. Again, the distribution Mm. question being asked. And then whether even those already developed should not start to think about the possibility of living more simply, more modestly, because we could not afford more progress. As language goes, the trick which was played with the concept of sustainable development was that the emphasis shifted more and more on the development side of 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 the concept which meant, again, emphasizing the necessity of growth and the presumed necessity to sustain it whilst increasingly less attention was given to the initial idea of ecological sustainability. So sort of a clear case of conceptual stealth, Mm -hmm. I would call it. So the international debates about this were rather hijacked at Rio, Rio de Janeiro, Copenhagen, and it seemed also that Paris now, a few years ago, that seemed to restore the attention on the environment. But as we now know, and listen carefully to what the U.S., uh, Mr., what's his name? I don't pronounce his name anymore. And our own country (laughs) have actually dealt with, with the promises they made in Paris. Mm. It's really scandalous stuff if you think about it. Yeah, and and what really amazed me in um, looking at reviewing a lot of material for this program is we've been talking about the need for environmental sustainability, the, that it's a climate emergency. We've been talking about that for 50 years. Yeah, or more, actually, really. Yeah, but you're right. It's quite, it's quite amazing. I and, think this, it's and this idea of economic de- development merging into economic growth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has somehow 
taken over the agenda. Has become the standard phrase again. From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter. Yep. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial. 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about degrowth a hugely neglected topic in our growth-obsessed media. And going back to degrowth and environmental sustainability, so Jacques, you described how a soft version and a strong version of sustainability evolved. The soft version in general is obviously what many nations and industries have adopted, Um, as you say quite um, shamefully. Thankfully, a strong version of sustainability has been adopted by the degrowth movement, which we're talking about now. So based on the values for a better way of organising ourselves, we've mentioned before, the degrowth movement brings together experts and activists from a range of backgrounds. They share their ideas and knowledge on topics such as manufacture, economy, relocalisation, permaculture, cooperatives, environment, simplicity, IT and alternative business. There's a focus on more horizontal, peer-to-peer social and economic systems, so not um, as an alternative to the current top-down, with knowledge and labour openly shared for the common good rather than for profit, and, and strategically and consciously done that way. There's a focus on people being ends in themselves and not just a human resource for others to make profit. There's a focus on walking more lightly on the planet and treating each other, rather amazingly, with care and respect. Meanwhile, international, national and regional conferences about degrowth have been organised and happened. They are very well attended and the worldwide dialogue about this has been intensified immensely. The recent one, a couple of years ago now in Leipzig, attracted 3,000 people who stayed together for well over a, a week discussing all the aspects of degrowth. Some listeners also may remember the conference Borderlands organised in 2015 in Castlemaine, together with the Global Economics of Happiness, now referring to themselves as Local Futures, a network which was initiated by Helena Norbeck-Hodge. There's also fully operating the new Economy Network Australia, uh, NENA is its acronym, which has a national body as well as regional networks, one of those being based in Melbourne, another in Gippsland, in as far as Victoria is concerned. So that's NENA, N-E-N-A. Yes, uh-huh. New Economy Network Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Samuel Alexander from Melbourne University is a simplicity activist and a theoretician as well. and He has experimented with local pilots in Victoria about simple living, associated with the degrowth idea. 
Many intentional communities and co-housing initiatives have elements of degrowth in, and sharing in mm-hmm. their value base and their purposes. So really, if you think about it, the movement is spreading. And because it wants to stay close to the ground, unfortunately, you won't often find much mention of it in the mainstream media and the traditional news challenges. Uh, I'm sorry, channels. <laughs> yes, uh, who always want to talk about economic growth. Exactly. And the debate being, is it happening or not, <coughs> not whether we should even be aiming for it. So a famous proponent of degrowth is Michelle Bowens. So that's B-A-U-W-E-N-S, Michelle Bowens from P2P. Um, that's peer to peer, but it's capital P, number two, capital P. Uh, In building a new type of economic system, he proposes local production but with global organisation and information sharing in an intellectual commons. So, for example, you keep the heavy things local, heavy, producing things, for example, and reducing transport costs in the process, and sharing light things globally, that you don't have to pollute the earth Um, with transport to share intellectual property using IT. Um, So that's um, clearly moving into a global common via initiatives like Linux software and other global virtual cooperative schemes. So there's different ways this is already happening. So you could, for example, share IT for for 3D printing of a particular good, like a a car or whatever, but keep the production local for local use and local distribution or regional distribution. Knowledge, however, would be shared freely in reciprocal arrangements those who would want to make a profit from that applied knowledge or from any of the products resulting from it, uh, they would have to buy a license and enter a system of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. That means of mutuality, exchange. The mm-hmm. ch- ex- that exchange is, uh, system could be very diverse. For example, our own experiences with LITS systems. Mm, that's right, the local exchange trading system. So that, uh, um, for people who are not familiar with it, allows people in a local community to share what they have to share and get what they need um, using some sort of currency they make up themselves or points. Um, so, in general, the degrowth approach moves from centralised to more horizontal, dispersed ways of organising, moves us from organisation driven by profit to organisation driven by care for each other, for animals and the natural world. Um, people wouldn't need to slave in unsatisfying jobs to help build profit for fewer and fewer people at the top of the current system. And one thing, actually, I did want to mention before, I mentioned Joseph Stiglitz and who... Um, is a um, Nobel Prize winning economist and he argues that the responsibility for the lack of economic growth is actually with fewer and fewer people at the top of the system gathering the wealth and using that wealth in ruses to consolidate their position rather than creating real wealth and productivity. So Mm -hmm. it's not the people Mm -hmm. at the bottom Mm -hmm. who are unemployed or at fault. It's actually the people up the top. Mm -hmm. And that's from a conservative economist. Who keep basically accumulating those multiple billions of dollars or trillions of dollars probably soon. And you sort of wonder what what that heap of, of resources and money is doing there, really. In a simpler but more convivial life... A convivial life, shark. I like that word. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Convivial life, they would actually not be struggling to pay pay for goods they don't really need. 
In a shared economy, we could drastically reduce costs of intellectual property, transport and debt. We could also be walking much lighter on the earth and reducing the level of catastrophic climate change gradually, which incidentally has already started, by the way, anyway, despite denials from the short-term profiteers and those benefiting from the current system. So, since we are called think again, let's start to think counterculturally, and for many, counterintuitively, because this growth obsession has become so much part of the way we think and, and, and work and, and, and have our conversations about. In a way, less may actually turn out to be more. Yeah, amen. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.